make everybody good. Happy long weekend to you guys. It's going to be great. I know. How many of you have to work tomorrow? Anybody have to work tomorrow? A few of you. I'm sorry. Uh, for those of you who got off, enjoy it. For those of you who are working, thank you. Um, and uh, man, we're here. I'm excited really about today. We're going to put together this last message, have a conversation about it. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn over to the book of Colossians. And I hope you brought your Bibles with you. I know some of you have been carrying them with me and faithful. And if you've been here every week, and maybe you've never read through a book of the Bible before, but you've been here every week through this series, we will have read the whole book together. So give it up for yourselves for getting through a whole book of the Bible. And this is something that we're trying to develop a pattern in our lives. And while you're turning there, let me talk about a couple of things. This Wednesday, first Wednesday, I actually announced it in first service last week and got about 1,000 emails telling me how crazy I was. And I just made a mistake. But this first Wednesday is going to be incredible. Don't miss it. I've got some stuff I want to share with you just about mission, vision, DNA, some stuff that's just like who we are. And it's going to be great. We're going to have a blast. So get here 7 o'clock. Even if you're you're running from work to get here, get here. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And um, for those of you who are new here at the church, I always say this. If you're here today, just come four times. Just four times. And maybe you come today and you're like, man, it's a little bit wild today. I don't know. I don't like it or this thing or that thing. I always say just come four times. You'll get a grip of who we are. And if you don't like us after four times, then maybe we're not the place for you. But I figure after about three, two or three times, you're going to go, hey, I like these people. They're just regular people. They just love Jesus. Man, it's good. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. My wife, Janet, and I, it's our privilege to serve you here in this community. It's a crazy time, and everything in our world is trying to divide us and separate us. That's really, I think, a plan of the enemy, that he would get you off by yourself or even a smaller group of people. A smaller group or certainly isolated by yourself, you're going to find yourself in trouble. That's just the way it is. We're meant to be surrounded. We're meant to be in community with each other. And so this is a great spot to do it. We're not a perfect church. We're just, uh, it's a great church with great people. We've been in this series in, in Colossians, and we've said a whole lot over the weeks. It was supposed to be a four-week series that turned into eight weeks, and I think, this, I think this is the ninth week, and Pastor Juan preached one, did a great job, but we've been just breaking this down, and you see these themes kind of coming up to the surface over and over and over again. Um, one of the, the overarching themes for the book of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's just better. He's just better. You're like, you might think, like, this thing, that is it. Remember those old commercials that it doesn't get any better than this? Remember that? It was like a guy in a John boat in a lake. And I'm like, it gets a lot better than that, church. <laughs> you spend time with God, it gets a lot better than that. I like, I like going out and hanging out like that too, but it, that has nothing in comparison to just having a right relationship with Jesus Christ and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's just better. You've got big problems in your life. Guess what? He's bigger than your biggest problems. He's just bigger and better. We have this great theme of new life, which you saw in the video when we were talking about this. You're called to new life, not old life, new life. We'll talk about that in just a second. We talked about relationships last week. Rules for the Christian household, what husbands should be doing, what wives should be doing, what kids should be doing. And so what we've tried to do through this series is not make it so like big and hard that you're like, I don't understand anything I'm, and, and therefore I'm checked out. No, we want you to get something out of it. And we've tried also not to make it so easy that you're like, yeah, I've got that. Move on to the next thing because the, the gospel is clear 
and it's real, and it needs to be applied to your life every single day. In the local church, inside of your family, at work, at school, in society, in your driving, all over the place, it needs to be applied. And listen to this. If your life does not demonstrate new life in Christ, you've missed the whole point about what life is about. You've missed the whole point. The title of today's message is The Whole Point. It's the whole point. Oh, you thought, you thought it was just so you could get more stuff and die, right? And get the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, he still dies. He who dies with Jesus Christ in his heart wins. He wins every single time. And as we left you last week with Pastor Chris Hodges' quote, says he doesn't want to improve on the old you. He's not trying to patch you up and just put a new bumper on you. No, he wants to make a brand new you, to change everything about you, a new attitude, a new walk, change the way you talk, just total perspective shift on your life. This is absolutely crucial that we get this right. So I want to do something a little bit different today. And that is this. I'm going to read the whole fourth chapter to you. And you're going to be all right, yeah? (laughs) I've got one person excited about it. The rest of you are like, those are some crazy names in there. Well, pray for me that I get them right. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to read all through the chapter, and then I'm going to come back and tackle the first six verses for us. Let's begin together. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that is happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greeting, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among co-workers. They are working with me for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong, perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and then for the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote them and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Come on, let's give it up for the word of God. You finished Colossians. Great job. Now we're going to go back to the beginning and tackle these first six verses. The back half of it is really 
just kind of like, hey, give this guy a high five for me. Tell this person I love him just like you would when you were calling family. You know, say, hey, tell so-and-so that I miss him. Give him a hug for me. Give him a kiss on the cheek and all that wonderful stuff. That's great. But I want to tackle the first six verses. I do like at the end there that he said, here's my greeting in my own handwriting. A lot of times Paul would have a transcriber, somebody that as he spoke, they would write things down. But it was important enough for him to write this in his own handwriting. And as important it was for the church at Colossae, it's important for you and it's important for us because the attack against the divinity of Jesus is real. It's absolutely real. People are coming against Jesus himself saying, and they might even say clever things like, hey, he's a good one. Jesus was a good one. But he's not the only one, which we know he is the only one. And you've got to understand this. Paul knew that we needed a deeper understanding of Jesus, who he is, what he's done in your life, what he is doing in your life, and what he will do in your life. We're to live with the power of the Holy Spirit to get this inside of us. So with that being said, let's jump in with verse 1 here today. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master. In heaven. As we said last week, it kind of picks up right as they ended in, in, in chapter 3. We talked a little bit about, uh, about slavery and saying this really isn't a racial thing. It's not about this or that. Even though we have slavery, indentured slaves all over the world, it's a major problem. It's terrible. We denounce that it shouldn't happen. This really isn't what he's talking about in the total context as we understand today. How I want us to look at it is in positions of authority. Everybody in here probably has had some sort of authority, unless you're, unless you're a kid in this place. Uh, but even then, maybe you've been like a crossing guard or something. You've had a little bit of authority. But for the parents in here, for the grandparents in here, for the aunts, the uncles, for the, the employers, and really want to dive into this place right here, the employers, this is important. Paul talks a lot about this. Scripture talks about uh, the slavery a lot and how our interaction, but really, how are we going to treat people who are underneath our authority? It matters. It absolutely matters how you treat people. Even if you're not in authority over there, it matters how you treat them. So when we ask, you know, um, hey, my boss over here, he just yells and screams and cusses everybody out every day. That's not a good thing. And if that's you, stop it, right? But, but it, it, however you respond to it, it also matters. So as a, as a person who is under someone's authority, it matters how you respond to those. As someone who is in authority, it matters how you treat people all the time. And if you're not sure how it is, just find yourself. If you're an employer or a boss or someone in a position of authority, ask yourself how that would make you feel. And maybe these layers of management that happen in life, you know, like this person's the boss, but then when the big boss shows up, you know how they act, right? They change, you know, that's no good. <laughs> and so if that's happening around you or in you, you need to change that type of behavior. We need to understand something. What we need to understand is that you have a master in heaven too. You have one looking at you and how we treat people, right? And thank God that we've always said that his faithfulness isn't dependent on our faithfulness, but, but check yourself. And I don't care if you call it justice, I don't care if you call it fairness, both are important words, but they're more important understandings in how we treat people and how we relate to people, Micah 6a, right? Help us to love justly. We like justice. We want to stand up for justice. We want to see people treated fairly, or do we? 
We're not just talking about big issues. We're talking about everyday life here. What is, what is justice and how I react to you or to you? And, and maybe you think like, hey, if, if, if whatever, the senator walked in the room today, you, would you treat them different than the person who came in off the streets? And if so, that's a problem. James talks a lot about that, right? We don't give pref preferential treatment to anybody. We love everybody. Everybody is welcome here because we all need Jesus. We all need to change. We need to fix our attitudes and get it right. So justice, fairness, right, is, it's not just talking about only equality, but really just a fairness and a trust that my life has been given to Jesus. He's making changes in my life, and therefore, I want to make sure that everybody is treated fairly and equally on my behalf. I can't control other people. I can't control the boss. I can't control your boss. I can't control you. I can't control myself, right? And somebody said, I can't control myself. I just can't help it. Well, then you need some fruit in your life. You need the fruit of the Spirit because one of them is what? Self-control. You need self-control. And the emphasis here is, is really the motivation for being godly masters or employees, if you, were, if, you, if you will. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, be careful in the way you judge because you will be judged. It's your standard of measure. It will be measured to you. If you want to measure people like that and how you look at them and how you interact with them, how you treat them, just make sure because that's the standard now. And God will judge and he will judge slaves and employees and he will judge masters. He will judge everybody, and he will do it fairly. And so we're called, as people, ambassadors of Christ, right? Overcomers in Christ Jesus with the responsibility to live well, to employ well, to treat well, to just be well. Christian, listen to this. Christians or Christ followers or disciples of Jesus, if you're going to be a, an employer or an employee, it doesn't matter. You should be the best one there is. The best one there is. When, you're, when your boss looks at you, he's like, what is it about you? You're going to see what happens when you, when you live like this in just a couple of verses. Now, if you're not the best employee in the place, if you're lazy and you cheat the time clock and you take an extra long break, and you do all of these things, and you're just living on, you're playing on your phone and social media and all these things when you should be working, stop it. Stop being lazy. If this doesn't, if this isn't for you, then dismiss it. But if it's for you, embrace it, right? We need to be the best. Not about being the best for ourselves because it is the model of Christ-like behavior in our lives because I don't do it for the boss. Last week, we said we do it for who? The Lord. Everything I do is for the Lord. And in that case, I'm going to give it all. And when I give it all, then I'll get the promotion. And then things. He was the one who lifts us up in due time. It's absolutely important. And in an almost post-Christian, post-God nation, we're looking for people to stand up and do this. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be very hard to find, but it's like it's getting harder and harder to find because people are becoming lazier and lazier. And these phones are really the enemy of our focus. They have, it has crippled our focus. Honestly, you ever try to sit in a meeting and see how many people are checking their, their stuff? It's crazy. 
It's absolutely bonkers that it's happened. So we need to get control of ourselves as Christ followers, as one, disciples of Jesus. That means discipline. You should have discipline in your life, right? Verse 2 says this, devote yourselves, strong word, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote. Some of you do devotions. That means you wake up and you look and you've got a little devotional that you open and it gives you like a little scripture and a passage and somebody explains it. And all of that's great. I think you should do that. But that's not exactly what this is talking about. He's saying devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself to listening to God more than talking to him. Most of the time we go there and talk about things, talk about somebody or talk about our problems. But a lot of times we just need to sit in his presence and we'll talk about how to do that in just a second. But devote yourselves to prayer. And some of you, I've I've literally heard people say this to me. By the way, we have prayer at 5.30 on Sunday morning. If you want to come here, come here, find a spot, just get quiet and pray. You're like, how do you, how do you pray? I'm tired at 5.30. Well, yeah, it's early, but there's something about being with God, no matter what time it is, that he changes you. He doesn't always change your situation, make your problems go away, but he changes you and your attitude, and that's important. So this present imperative command that is here to pray, not just, okay, I did my prayer, I did, said my Hail Marys, and I'm off to the next thing. No, he's not talking about this. This is present continuous to pray without ceasing, to really go after him. And then the one thing that we know is that God wants to talk to us. If you don't know that, I'm telling you this today. God wants to talk to you. Yes, the same one who, who spoke the planets into existence says, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I've got a word for you. Listen to me. Give me your ear. And I've heard the psalmist. I know the psalmist prayed at times, Lord, uh, give me your ear. He said, lend your ear to the voice of my supplications. As the psalmist wrote, what he was saying is, I've got a bunch of problems. Can you listen to me? And God's saying, well, I don't have any problems. (laughs) Why don't you listen to me? right? This is who you should be listening to. He doesn't listen to you. He knows all your problems. He knows all your cares. That's why you should cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast them over there. Don't tell, don't have to tell him all this stuff. God, I've got, don't you know that this person is driving me crazy? Don't you know that this, and don't you know that he knows, he knows about it. And as we begin to understand something, The theme of this book, one of the themes, the supremacy of Christ, almighty, he's almighty, he's almighty, that doesn't register, like you're like, yeah, he's almighty, I get it, no, he's almighty, (laughs) he's almighty, he he literally, I've said this, but he, he, he spoke everything into existence. His hand spans the universe, and he looks down, and he sees me, and he wants to talk to me. And the craziest thing is he lets me talk back to him. What? There's no other, like, system of authority like that on earth. I can't tap into it. I can't talk to the president. I can't even talk to the senator. I might be able to write him a letter, but it probably goes straight in the trash. They don't want to hear from me, but God wants to hear from me. He wants to hear from you. But listen to this. This is very unfortunate, but we have set 
such a low standard of prayer in our lives that we broke it down to like, I get up in the morning and I lay there and I just say, God, this is your day. Or we sit down at the, at the table and we're like, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food. By his hands we are fed, give us, Lord, our daily bread. <laughs> Over the lips, through the gums, look out, belly, here it comes. It's like, what, like, what's wrong with that? That's it? That's what we're doing? That's the, the, the pray without ceasing? That's the commitment? No, there's, there's more to, to learn. And, and check this out. Here's how I know that we, ha- we, we haven't developed or we haven't kept a culture of prayer because they had it in the early church. When Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait, they went and they prayed for days in the upper room and days and days and days in the upper room just waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and bless them. But things have changed so much now. If you go to your boss, you're like, I'm going to need some time to pray at lunch. He'd be like, you're a crazy person. Get back to work. But if a Muslim person walks in and says, I need to pray, yeah, you've got time. You know why? Because they've got a culture of prayer. And we have moments of prayer when we're in trouble. We've got to change that. And say, we, not I. Like, I'm, I'm working on it in my life. You need to work out it in your own life to pray without ceasing. We need to change this. And as I said earlier, just because you pray, just because you go to him, you know, with everything, and you're listening, and you're tuned in, and you're doubting, does not mean that you won't have problems. I was just talking with one of our elders a few minutes ago, right? We got problems. We got, we got stuff, but we are going. Paul prayed at one time. Three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn from my flesh. Did God remove it? No. What did he say? My grace is sufficient from you. So just because you pray doesn't mean your problems go away. But what it can do, they may not change, but you will change. Your attitude will change. You'll begin to get a different perspective on it. Yes. And you'll stop, stop looking for an escape all the time. Every time there's a little bit of pressure, every time there's a little bit of discomfort, it's like, get me out of here, Lord. Don't you know I'm suffering down here? And he's like, you're suffering? You're su-. Paul's writing from prison. He said, I have marks on my body. They beat me. They left me for dead. They threw rocks at my head. This is crazy. And like, I'm suffering down here. The people, the people at work are mean to me. <laughs> Toughen up. Toughen up, buttercup. Go to the Lord with these things. Listen to this. Your praying should affect everything in your life. Your praying should affect everything in your life. And if your praying and going to the Lord will affect everything in your life, I'm guessing the absence of prayer in your life will what? Affect everything in your life. One or the other. It's just like, I'm, I'm like, I don't pretend to walk on water. I don't pretend to have it all figured out. I just know I'm a little better when I continually spend time with God, right? If you're constantly blowing up on people, I wonder how much time you've spent with the Lord. Because when you spend time with the Lord, it's like your pressure cooker has got, you let that little steam thing, anybody get an Instant Pot? You know, you know those things are great, right? But it, like, it lets the steam out. I, I used to be scared to death of pressure cookers. Instant Pots made it manageable. You used to risk your life in those things before, but now it's manageable, and some of you know people like that. 
It's like, I don't even want to be around them. And it could explode at any time. But as we go to the Lord, say, Lord, I just thank you for, for being here. It's like, <laughs> that's a little bit of steam out. And I'm not saying we get all the way down to perfection and we walk around just blessing people. Bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't, I don't do that. I want to get to that point. I don't do that right now. But, but, it, but it affects my life when I spend time with God. So how should we pray? How should I pray? He said it right there to begin. Devote yourselves. Devote, dedicate, apply, loyalty, steadfastness. And I would throw on the word enthusiastic. Be enthusiastic about it, that you get to do this. You don't have to do it. You get to do that. Most of you came in today, you want to be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You want to be here, so you came in, you're like, hey, man, we're going to get together. There's going to be hundreds of people in the room, and we're all going towards Jesus, and I feel better, and you leave here better in Jesus' name. There should be some enthusiasm, but there should be some dedication, and better yet, there should be some application. There better be application. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? Second thing is keeping alert. Ooh, there's a rhythm to the world right now. I call it a rhythm of chaos. It's just chaos and chaos and chaos. And um, I was picking on my wife in first service, so I'll continue that pattern. When we go to Miami together, we typically, well, we're up in Miami, we might as well get something to eat. And so our bellies are full, and then we get on a turnpike, and it's a rhythm of chaos, especially when I'm driving, because I'm <laughs> I'm passing people. <laughs> Pastor Victor's always like, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I'm like, you got, have you ever wrecked one time, Pastor Victor? He's probably, he's probably watching this right now. <laughs> have I wrecked one time? No. But there's a rhythm. And so what happens when my wife's stomach is full and she trusts, she begins to lean into that. She gets, I see her over there like a little baby. <laughs> I got my daughter the other day before she left. She was in the back seat. We had to go way up in North Miami. She was in the back, and so I was jerking the wheel, watching her head back and forth. You know? <laughs> Some of you guys are mean like that, but I am. But if you're not careful, the world will have you doing that in the chaos. You're just kind of like lulled to sleep. Just lulled to sleep, just tossed here and there. Keep alert. Pay attention. The things that they're throwing at us, like they keep throwing at us, they keep throwing at us, and the things that were shocking three, four, five, ten years ago, they're not shocking anymore, right? That's because they keep throwing at us, and, and people aren't on alert. They've just been, they've been, it's like dumbed down for us, but when you go read stories like Nehemiah, you see in Nehemiah chapter 4 that he made our prayer, he says he set a watch. Boom! I'm focused on this thing. I'm not taking my eyes off it. I'm paying attention. I'm not trusting anything in this world. I'm trusting on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. This is what we have to do. First Peter 5 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy is looking for you to be half asleep. You're staggering around, just, oh, I don't know, and then, oh, okay, I don't feel like, uh-uh. Next thing you know, it's like the, the enemy has a hold of your throat, right? Because you're just, you're not paying attention. Devote yourselves, be alert, and thoroughly, thankfully, have a thankful heart, be grateful. When we operate in Thanksgiving, we just have a better attitude. It's hard to complain when you're thankful, right? 
It's like, oh, I don't have the beef prices are really up. I had to eat pork steak today. It's a tough life. <laughs> it's a tough life, right? Wow. Gas prices are so high, and you just keep filling up your 35-gallon tank with your diesel. You know, it's like we keep buying it, and the things aren't that tough. Restaurants are full, right? You keep spending money, keep buying stuff. We have all these recreational activities, right? We go shopping when nothing's going on. You know what I mean? Like nothing's going on. You want to go to the mall? It's like recreational shopping. It's like nothing's going on. Things aren't that bad. So we begin to shift our attitude to become thankful. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for, yes, all the stuff, but that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is you, God. Thank, thank you for just being with me and in me. Prayer is not to, to get God to see your stuff. It's for you to see God. It's not for you, for you to get God on your plan, try to convince him, God, if you would just come over here, we would get this done. No, he's saying, no, come over here. It's already done. It's already done. Verse 3, Paul writes, pray for us too. Pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Paul's writing from prison. So let's not talk about our, our tough times. Paul's writing from prison. Pray for us. You don't have anybody to pray for? Pray for me. You pray for the people around you, right? I want to talk about opportunity because I think we, we don't understand this well. I think many times, not all times, but many times the problems that you're going through in your life are more about people around you than you. I really believe that. I've watched it happen. I've watched it in my own life. I've watched it in other people's lives. But as I said earlier, a lot of times we're so busy trying to escape out of that thing, we don't understand how to minister inside of the pit. We don't, no, we don't even think about ministry inside of the prison. We don't think about it because we're too busy trying to, God, get me out of the prison. And he's like, yeah, but there's people who need to hear Jesus in there. Yeah, why, why am I going through this, Lord? Well, look around. Look around and see, just maybe there's an opportunity to you. And if you will begin to live right, if you will begin to live the new life of Christ, here's what I believe. More and more people will see the light. People are attracted to the light. They will come to the light. They will begin to dump their problems out on you. Because you're looking. You're a lighthouse. In a storm, people go to the lighthouse because it's a place of stability a place of devotion, a place of firmness and steadfastness. So they will come to you and they begin to say, hey, I, man, I just, this thing's going on in my life. And we're like, oh, that sounds really tough. We're missing the opportunity. There was a grand opportunity at that moment to share the love of Jesus. To, to open up and talk about the love, to pray. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. You open up your mouth and you talk to God. That's how you pray. That's how you do it. And we see this, and Paul's not, not asking to go to prison here. He's not saying, like, I can't wait to stay in prison. I can't wait to, for them to kill. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, like, give it, God, let me see the opportunity for ministry that is right in front of me. And by the way, it's everywhere. Miami-Dade is like the fourth, third or fourth most unchurched region in all of America. It's crazy town. 
When I tell people when they're coming down here, like, tell me, tell me about Homestead. And I, you've heard me say this before. I always say, there's no shortage of opportunity to share Jesus. None! You just open up your mouth, and the seed's going to go somewhere. Back in the day, it was like everybody was a Christian. Yeah, 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 I know. My, uh, my grandma, my grandma, this, uh, my, my wife. Uh, I go to this church. I don't know the name of it. I don't know the name of the pastor, but I go there. Uh, that's my church. And it, it, that's not even a thing anymore. Now you're not even talking about people that don't go to church. Their parents didn't go to church. Some of their grandparents didn't go to church. We're literally heading to a post-Christian nation. A post-Christian nation. So the opportunities are here. They're real. And if you're not careful, you're going to be blinded by your own circumstances and not share in the middle of a place that, that could be very, very helpful to some people. 2 Timothy 2.8, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, said, Remember Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, who is from the family of David, this is the good news I preach, and I am suffering because of it to the point of being bound with chains like a criminal. But God's teaching is not in chains. I might be going through something, but God is not going through something. He's victorious. He's alive. He's well. And we live in victory because he is victorious. Verse 4 says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Ooh. Clarity is huge. I've been praying so much in this season, talking with my friend Jaime. We've talked a lot about this over this last season. Not just praying for, for clarity, but praying for crystal clarity. I've prayed it for my friends. I've prayed it over you. I've prayed it over my, my life. God, I don't want any muddiness. I don't want any like kind of thing, any clouds that come over it. I want absolute clarity. You show me where to step. That's where I'm stepping. Show them where to step. That's where I believe they will step. Here's how the muddiness comes because God brings clarity. Most of you are going to leave here in a few minutes and you're going to feel pretty clear. Devoted to Christ. We're going all the way. Thankful heart. Here we go. And then just about Wednesday, it's pretty muddy. Because you can't live over here in, in, in the dirt and expect it to be clear because you, you do this over here. That's just not how it works. It's just not how it works. The muddiness comes in our life when our life doesn't line up with our preaching. So it's not just about muddiness in our own life. It's also muddiness for the people who we're witnessing to. You're going to tell them about Jesus then they're going to watch. And I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying that. Nobody here is perfect. Jesus is perfect. But, but if you're just going to go back and forth all the time, it's really confusing for people. Pray, not just that I, but also that you, that we as the church will proclaim the message as clearly as we can. And verse 5 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? So here's when I think about this. If we're just talking about like completion. Maybe one day I'm going to get there. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven, right? But until then, this, this process of sanctification and the perfecting of the saints that is happening. The perfecting of us is not just privately, because we talk about that, like, I give me character and integrity, I just want to be the same guy here, yeah, yeah, but it, it needs to happen publicly too, it's private and public, it's holy, holy, like, W-H-O-L-E, whole, holy, H-O-L-Y, all the way holy, all the way, otherwise, 
It's just crazy town. And wisdom, where do you think it comes from? We already said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we're going to go back, what's the best thing that I can do? Talk to God. And most of us are really great at that in big decisions. I got a really big decision to make. Let me stop and seek God. No, you need, you need it every single day. Every single day that this is happening, right? It's not your wisdom. It's not my wisdom. It's not the wisdom of the people over there or this place. It's God's wisdom that we need inside of us. And when it happens, when he takes over us, when he deposits his wisdom, it becomes very evident to people around us. Very evident. They're like, this, this, this guy knows a thing or two. This lady knows a thing or two. 1 Thessalonians 4.12, so that your daily life may win, I love this, win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You, up in, you operate in wisdom, you'll win, win the respect. You will win the respect of people around there. They're like, what is going on there? What is going on? Stand with me real quick as I, as I read this last verse to you. Listen to this. Let, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. How's your conversation? Is it filled with dirty jokes and cuss words and gossip? Or is it always steering back towards Jesus? If people say things like, man, you only talk about God, you're doing it right. If, if, they, if they say things like, don't, don't come at me with that stuff again, you're doing it right. <laughs> you're doing it right. And that's how it's supposed to be, right? First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect doesn't mean you don't do it. Gentleness and respect. We're giving it to the world because there's something inside of you. If you know Jesus, right, and the outsiders don't, and we're living in wisdom, and we're devoted in prayer, and we're going after him, then there's going to be a great opportunity for what? To tell about the hope. Like, I have something you don't have. I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm saying, this is what you want. You're telling me your problems, but I'm telling you, you need hope. I know you don't have money for the rent, but you need hope. I know your life is crazy and you're depressed and you, you think you need medicine and a counselor, and I'm not saying anything bad about that. What, but what you need is hope. You need Jesus. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to move on you and direct you. Would you do it with gentleness and respect? I, I, I hope and pray that as, as Christ followers, as disciples, this church, that we will speak so amazingly filled with grace more than we speak with gossip about other people. I pray that when Jesus spoke, they said things like, we've never heard anybody talk like this before. 
But it's not just Jesus. He's like, yeah, that's Jesus. He's God. But what about Paul? The chief of all sinners who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and stood before Agrippa. And Agrippa said, Paul, <laughs> I don't know, you're talking about with something I don't have in my life. You got something that I need. You're about to convince me right here. That's Paul. That's you. That's me. That's us. That's what's supposed to happen in my, in my life. So, so what's the big idea here? How do I apply this thing? Well, you put Jesus at the center of it all because he's supreme. I told you, many, many of you want a service, but you don't need another service. What you need is a Savior and a Lord. That's what you need. Service is great. Get here all the time. We have service. I want you to be here. But believers that have died with Christ... They're not patched up. They're brand new. They're brand new in their life. And if you've been raised with Christ, you need to not just live a little better. You need to live Jesus. And if you will live Jesus, things begin to change and the motivation begins to change. And because he is Lord of all, then everything is submitted to him. Everything. My good days, my bad days, my, the, the wins in my life, the loss of my everything is submitted to him. The question is, are you submitted today? Are you submitted? Have you gone all in? Because today's the day where we understand that our faith in Jesus should transform our lives completely. He is your newest, freshest life. He is supreme. And check this out. He just wants you. Would you bow your heads with me in this place? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your word. So rich. So changing. It changes us. It just, we get inside of us and it just brings change. Washes us. Transforming. God, there's a room full of people here today and just by the statistics alone I know that some are hurting some are tired some are frustrated some are ready to quit but some are walking in total victory in new life and that's available so Lord as we just pause in this moment the devoted heart with a thankful heart we commit to you again listen nobody's looking around this is your chance to say I, I want to go all in I don't understand everything but I need Jesus in my life I need him to run the show I need, I need a savior and I need a lord if you need that in your life today, if you need him in your life today, would you just lift your hand up? Your hands all over the room. You can put them down. Listen, this is between you and God. But you need to tell somebody after this. But I want the whole church, let's all pray this together. Father, I need you. Come on, say it again. Father, I need you. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth 
that you are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now be the Lord of my life. Father, thank you for changing lives today. We love you. We honor you with our lives. And we just, we just surrender all to you today. You're supreme. You're better. You're bigger. And so we just slide everything over. Everything we thought we had control of, we let go of today. And we just slide it over to you. You are the Lord of our lives. We love you so much. We're so tremendously blessed. I thank you for this church. I thank you for everybody represented in this room right now. I pray that you touch them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak to them and make our message clear, the message of hope. We love you. We honor and bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the word of God. So good. God bless you guys. A couple things. Get here first Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Do not miss it. We're going we're gonna to be signing up for Connect Group soon. Get in a Connect Group. I'm going to challenge you guys on first Wednesday. So come in ready. Come in with an open heart. Don't come in off the turnpike all mad because you were in traffic. Come in and pray before you get in here if that's you. We love you guys. We always pray a benediction. Let's pray it together right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. Love you guys.